Welcome to Soapbox. I am your host, Bruce, and this is Season 5, Episode 9, the penultimate episode of our season. Now, a lot has happened over this last week since we since we last spoke, our last episode, so we thought we would catch you up with perhaps what you might have missed. I'm not sure how you would have missed it, but again, uh, some of the stories making headlines uh, over this past week, and, and uh, as usual, give our thoughts on it. Now, I want to begin firstly by recognizing the passing of Brother Resistance, Lutalo Masimba. Um, and I want to say that I think his presence was undeniable, and I said so on social media. I think his absence will also be a loss, not just for the Calypso fraternity, but also for the Rapso movement. Uh, I cannot um, identify uh, from for my generation, at least uh, an artist that had done it like Brother Resistance has or had. Um, and I think even in terms of his uh, quality, his vision, his work, his penchant for improving the lives and the status of Calypsonians in Trinidad and Tobago, uh, I think that um, we all owe him a debt of gratitude. And, you know, we are not on our soccer or die season. But I thought it was important to um, to acknowledge his passing here on Soapbox because of his contribution to this country and, and to our national community. It is undeniable and, of course, uh, recognized even in his national award um, in 1992, I believe it was. But, I mean, it, it just goes back to, uh, you know, uh, every day, every way, uh, finding a way to recognize, uh, to applaud and to you know, give kudos to some of our, our legends, some of our icons. I, I think, like I said, it is a gap that I don't know if it would be filled. Um, I hope it would be. Um, and long live Rapso. Uh, and, and again, hopefully, um, Tuco can, um, you know, recover from, from this, this, this great loss. Uh, I want to segue from there and again you can check out uh some of the clips that we posted on social media in terms of not just tributes from other artists in the calypso and soca fraternity but also from the carnival institute from an interview that they had done with with brother resistance and let me just say again this is why it is important to document our history our culture um and again some of these some of these icons because how else will we teach the next generation? You know, I hope that I hope that they. And we, we had this conversation a couple months ago when you know singing Sandra passed. You know, I hope, I hope that parents and and even even those in our generation, I hope that we are passing down these 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 uh, lessons through music, and I, I hope that we are sharing in the in the culture. Um, but other headlines. Um, not on the culture front, of course, we know that even uh, vaccines uh, and the COVID-19 pandemic continues to be a headline. Of course, uh, this week again, uh, when I say this week, I mean the week that has gone, uh, another monumentous um, uh, occasion in our pandemic, um, what, what, what you call it, pandemic life living with the virus i'm not sure what, what we call it I, I don't know if we have to take ownership of the pandemic because it is our pandemic and it is because of our our 
lack of response um, in some ways, personal as well as global, that we are still in this situation. But uh, again, I digress. But a monumentous occasion last Tuesday, when 800,000 doses of Sinopharm entered the country. And again, we know the geopolitics of the situation. It is always interesting for me to see other people um, not understanding who we are in the global space. Um, not a yes, God is a trinity, but not everybody recognizes that. Um, we are a small state. Uh, not everybody understands. Again, in the context of, and we, we spoke a bit about it in the energy sector where, um, you know, we spoke about us being um, price takers and not price makers, that kind of vulnerability um, and that kind of um, position is not just in the energy sector and in prices. It, it, it is also in, in, like I said, our geopolitics and international relations where those who produce, those who have the power to do, will do, uh, and where we are not in a situation where we are a producer, then we have to accept what we must accept. Uh, and, and again, we cannot force any country to, to give us vaccines. There are a number of negotiations taking place every Saturday. We hear the prime minister talk about it. Um, but again, no, no country is, is under any obligation to help us to give us anything for free. Um, and that's why we rely on, on these negotiations. But more than that, the US is not there to bail us out. Again, people talking about a preference for this and a preference for that. Where is the Pfizer? Where is the Moderna? Where is the Johnson & Johnson? And so again, we, we said in, in episode four in Vax Facts, and I will say it again, the best vaccine is the one available to you. That is the mantra of the Ministry of Health. Like I said, the, 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 the vaccine diplomacy and who is upset that, that, that China is giving vaccines or more vaccines than other um countries like the us and the uk well go ahead be upset wait for it but at the end of the day lives are at stake and livelihoods are at stake anyway i digress because again i i feel like uh, there is there is something to be said when you come from a country like ours when you come from a region like ours and not understanding your place is very untrainy of you if it's one thing trinidadians must know is the place and i'm not saying that you must stay in that place or that you are relegated or that you are somehow confined to that place or that space but understand the situation and then act accordingly that's all i say anyway um with that that brings um 800 doses approximately 400 people that could be vaccinated and again that is in addition to the almost 200 um, people that could be vaccinated with uh, previous doses, previous, um, whether it is Sinopharm or AstraZeneca doses coming out of the COVAX and the gifts from um, India, the gifts from Barbados, etc., and, and from around the region. Uh, and so the Ministry of Health has set a target in terms of the number of persons that they're hoping would be fully vaccinated by the end of August. Again, the goal is to uh, vaccinate in total, I believe, 900,000 persons, at least uh, as in in order to get to that place where they can say that there is, um, you know, e enough vaccinations for herd immunity. Um, I can't remember the, the August target at, at the moment, but the 400,000 plus that previous 200,000 would take us to 600,000 persons fully vaccinated, again, with a deficit of 300,000 persons um, to make that 900,000 quota. And the expectation is that the um, the negotiations or the discussions with the 
with the African group, as well as the eventual, whenever it comes, the eventual donation from the US again last Saturday or, or, or yesterday, depending on when you're listening to this, um, the Prime Minister noted that those discussions with the US are at an advanced stage. And I'll come to that again uh, in a moment. But so far, as at the Prime Minister's last press conference on Saturday the 17th, uh, about 247,256 persons at least received a first dose of a vaccine and about 157,053 persons received uh, their second dose or are fully vaccinated. With the latest, uh, uh, the latest receipt of, of vaccines, uh, of Sinopharm vaccines, that 800,000 that I mentioned before, the Ministry of Health is looking to ramp up their daily vaccination targets. Now, you would note that previously, when we got the 200,000 doses, et cetera, et cetera, that the target was about 109, uh, no, 1,900 or about 2,000 doses delivered per day. That was the target. So about, I'm, I'm rounding off here, 2,000 doses delivered a day. They have ramped up that target now to hope to deliver anywhere from 20,000 to 25,000 shots per day. Um, and I want to join to this or add to this discussion, again, whether when we discuss whether or not that target is realistic, um, I think in terms of the infrastructure set out again across 109 health centers across Trinidad and Tobago, as well as with some mass vaccination sites, those that are manned by the Ministry of Health and those that are in collaboration with the private sector. So you know, again, there are the mass vac sites um, in the Savannah, the Gitintagarigua, et cetera. Um, but then there are also those mass vaccination sites that are um, in collaboration with the TTMA, the Supermarkets Association, <clears throat> and other agencies uh, in order to, to get those vaccinations, um, those those doses into arms. I think um, Napa, et cetera, have, have, have now been, been opened or, or commissioned to, to, to be mass vac sites for those um, groups, those target groups. I'm not going to go into the target groups. We did some of that discussion before, and again, you know, as we speak, those those target groups are expanding, whether it was initially, you know, supermarkets, association, manufacturers, um, pharmacists. Uh, um, we did um, we, we did discuss when they broadened the category to, of course, um, tutor teachers um, to to um, did I mention cultural workers and the like again, moving, you know, bigger, bigger, um, uh, the association of retired persons, um, those in care homes, et cetera, et cetera, and we're, we're expanding. So I believe the target is doable. Um, I didn't do the maths. <laughs> if you if you divide that 20 to 25,000 by at least the 109 centers, and then when you look at even the food and beverage sector, when you look at the construction sector that, that, that has been, and, and perhaps some still to be, to be to be vaccinated, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I think that number is doable, save and except for if and where there is vaccine hesitancy now. Based on what we've seen, a in the first attempt at mass vaccination, and we didn't have enough vaccine doses in order to to even do a vaccination, a mass vaccination program. But also based on what we saw 
post Tuesday when we got the shipment and then from Wednesday onward. And like I said, when we saw um, the food and beverage sector coming to get um, to, to get vaccinated and those lines that we saw, I would say that vaccine hesitancy is a lot lower than the WhatsApp groups would want you to believe. Now, I'm not saying that it doesn't exist. There are still people who are staunch advocates of not taking the vaccine, those who, for whatever reason, real or, or otherwise, who don't want to take it, those who cannot take it for, for health reasons, of course, um, a, a smaller minority there, because of course you get the advice of your doctor. You don't just say, well, I don't think I should take it because so and so, you have to get medical advice. Um, but also, like I said, uh, there are those who, for whatever reason, refuse to take the vaccine. They are anti-vaccine and that's fine. But I don't think it is such a large cohort. If we were to compare shares and likes on anti-vax posts versus um actual like people who actually would not go i think you would find that those numbers are not synonymous and like i said the evidence is that initial um attempt at mass vaccination where the turnout was unreal and again the turnout was from the population where most of the anti-vax sentiment had been circulating um and then again here where we actually have the dosage to to conduct the mass vaccination, what we've seen so far in terms of the lines and, and people showing up, uh, I think is encouraging. Um, I would also add here, actually, let me, let me come back to this mandatory vaccination discussion after. Um, but again, that that um what we've seen on social media and in groups and in whatever else about um, you know, not taking the vaccine versus what we're actually seeing where where people are coming out, I think it is proof. Yet again, that Trini's just like old talk. Like we like to make a big fuss and a big hasikara about things, and then you turn around like nothing happened. Like it wasn't just spreading nonsense on on Facebook and Twitter yesterday, but tomorrow you're there with your immunization card. Okay. Anyway, um, back to the donations in terms of particularly the U.S. donation. Um, on Saturday, the prime minister noted that it would most likely be those Pfizer vaccines. Um, and then the admonition there to those adults who are who have a preferred vaccine or who are waiting on particular um, particular brands to get here before they get vaccinated. One, that delay, let me say before I go to the actual news item, that delay could cost you your life, could cost someone around you their life. And so again, take what is available, take what is available early because again, your full vaccination, if you delay your first dose, that means you delay your second dose, which means you delay your full vaccination. And your full vaccination might be required for participation in certain activities. I know that previously on this platform, we discussed where in Barbados, there was a move to have those events for crop over, of course, a smaller number in those gatherings, in those fets. However, you have to either show proof of full vaccination or you have to show um, a negative PCR test. Um, and again, if you are going to or have to take a test, let's say a similar approach was adopted, sorry, for, for Trinidad and Tobago. 
and you have to take a negative PCR test every time you you decide you want to go to a FET or go to an event. The cost of that is much more than taking two free vaccine shots. And I'm saying as well, like I said, if you delay the first dose, the second dose, and that means your full vaccination is delayed, that means, again, you'll be telling out, um, you know, money for those PCR tests. Um, I would say as well in the UK, when we look to the UK, where this discussion about vaccine passports, and like I said, uh, we discussed this before on this platform, it wasn't in terms of even international travel, it was in terms of participation in certain activities, even going to the stadium for those recently concluded Euro finals, even going to 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 the to the bar or to wherever else to dine in in certain cafes, you needed to show proof of vaccination. Uh, again, that is a discussion that is ongoing, but we've seen where it has been introduced in some places. And again, if you delay your full vaccination by delaying your first dose because you're waiting on a preferred vaccine, if things like that were to be adopted or Let's say you were to travel because borders are open. That's another story coming down the line. If you were to travel and then internationally, there are these restrictions in terms of where you can and cannot go, then it makes your travel pointless. Um, and so even though at this time, countries aren't um, some, <laughs> would if you are not vaccinated, some would allow you to come. Um, you would have to do the PCR test and the quarantine, et cetera, which is again uh, uh, an increased cost. Um, some countries are absolutely not allowing you. And again, Trinidad and Tobago is one of those countries not allowing you to come if you're not vaccinated, uh, if you're a visitor. Grenada is another. If you are unvaccinated, don't come, et cetera, et cetera. So we, we see that this um, vaccine debate is going to be is going to occupy occupy local as well as international news for some time to come. And like I said, if it is you are not vaccine hesitant, or maybe you're Sinopharm hesitant, or maybe you're Pfizer hesitant or whatever, vanquish that because again, the sooner you get vaccinated with the available vaccine is the sooner you become fully vaccinated and you can take advantage of all of these things. Um, uh, like I said before, those those questions about vaccinated versus unvaccinated they are going to become critical um and the prime minister noted that even though the likely there's a likelihood there's a possibility a great possibility that the vaccines coming from the us will be pfizer vaccines he noted on saturday much to your dismay <laughs> if you sign or astra or whatever else hesitant and you're hoping for pfizer much to your dismay, those vaccines will primarily be used to vaccinate the secondary school population uh, because Pfizer at this time is the only vaccine that is um, allowed or permitted um, for use in children 12 and up. And so that is basically secondary school age. And so those vaccines will be reserved for those um, children between 12 and 18, or those young people between 12 and 18. So if you're over 18, go, go out, whether it is you need to book your appointment to show up if you are in one of those interest groups that um, have access to one of those mass vaccination sites, go and get it done. 
don't wait. If you're waiting on, like I said, Pfizer, Moderna, Johnson & Johnson, you will be waiting for some time. And that could allow you to miss the mark on certain things. Um, I want to come to this vaccine debate, but before I do that, because I mentioned the border closure, I mean the border reopening, um, and then border restrictions in other places, I want to mention that first and foremost, in the fact that there is a lot of misinformation happening where the people are saying online, where else does it happen? If you get vaccinated with Sinopharm that you are unable to travel, that is not the case, or that you are somehow banned or restricted from entering certain countries, that is not the case. I want to assure people, and I use the example all the time of what is happening in Europe. In Europe, uh, those EU countries are recognizing only AstraZeneca that has been produced in Europe. As you know, um, vaccines, yes, there is a brand. However, that doesn't mean that all of the doses are manufactured in the same place or in the same country. And so even at that level, we have some AstraZeneca being produced in Europe in, in, different, in different countries, but also in India, etc. And so there was a debate because, for example, the UK has used a mix of vaccines because, again, everybody is using what is available to them. And so there was a question as to whether or not um, persons in the UK who have been vaccinated with AstraZeneca being produced in India if they would not be able to travel to the EU or if they would face different um, different uh, restrictions on entry, like they would have to quarantine. Whereas other UK nationals who have been vaccinated with AstraZeneca um, developed in Europe don't. And so again, that, that bifurcation, that um, separation or that distinction, those are small kinks to be worked out. And I say it in the context of national policy has not yet coalesced with international regulations. What do I mean? I mean that, for example, in certain EU countries, they recognize these vaccines or they have approved for use those particular vaccines, right? And so quite naturally, their border restrictions will be based on the vaccines that they have recognized locally. And when I say recognize, I don't mean that the others aren't recognized or that you cannot enter again. Some of that is misinformation. You can go to Canada or you can go to, to the US or you can go to the UK, et cetera, et cetera, once you're not a red list country. Um, you can travel even if you are vaccinated with another vaccine. The question is, again, your terms of entry, whether you would have to quarantine or whether you need a PCR test or the like, or, or both. So it is not that you can't go. And like I said, eventually it is going to be a situation where the international regulations are going to catch up. And, and I think you have to give governments a breather here, not just Trinidad and Tobago, but across the board. You have to give governments a breather here because they are doing the best that they can in a very, very difficult situation. It is, for example, in Trinidad and Tobago. Our border restrictions are as such where vaccination for us means those vaccines, we, we have a, a bit of a generous interpretation, but still not as generous as others. But our interpretation is those WHO approved vaccines. And that is because in Trinidad and Tobago, our local authorities have put into use vaccines, all vaccines available to the WHO. The only thing is that we don't have access to all WHO vaccines in terms of the brands, but we have said, 
any and all WHO approved vaccines um, would be approved for use in Trinidad and Tobago. So we've taken our local, um, like I said, regulations and applied it to our our border regulations. What happened? Um, what would happen to those in our same region who have not been vaccinated with a, with an approved WHO vaccine? Because we know in some countries, some of them have used the Russian vaccine, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. It doesn't mean that they cannot come. It may mean that they would have to 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 use the restrictions applied to those persons who are unvaccinated. Now, at this time, of course, unvaccinated travelers cannot come in. But I think there is a gap. Now that I say it out loud, there is a gap that the that the the Ministry of National Security, such Ministry of Health, should really make clear. Um, I don't remember. I don't recall. Correct me if I'm wrong. But again, if you are vaccinated with a non-WHO approved vaccine, are you considered to be vaccinated by Trinidad and Tobago border regulations and therefore, you know, that category applies to you? Or are you considered to be unvaccinated and then you fall into that unvaccinated category if you are a, a, a national or you fall into that unvaccinated, don't bother come <laughs> category if you are not a national or, or resident. So that's a gap there, I think that ought to be clearly stated. But like I said before, every country is recognizing um, or, or adopting or putting as their border um, categories or restrictions, those, um, those vaccines that they have approved for use in their territory eventually it will all come together, especially, hopefully, if ever we leave this pandemic, it will all come together. Again, I, I feel like this is also a, a sterile conversation because I don't know who is, not I don't know, I've seen people traveling for pleasure. I don't think that at this time that is the necessary um, thing to do or that is a, a necessary activity, but that is just my take on it. Again, some countries, their borders are still closed. They don't care whether you're vaccinated or unvaccinated. Closed. Some countries, again, they have their stipulations on if you are vaccinated or not. Like I said, I don't see that because at the end of the day, you still take a risk in getting on that flight, whether it is for an hour, whether it is for five hours, whether it is for eight hours or more. And so that that's up to you. Anyway, after 16 months... I think I moved to border reopening. <laughs> After 16 months, of course, the borders have reopened on Saturday 17th, another major milestone um, in this pandemic that we that we witnessed this week. Um, and of course, if you are traveling or, or driving to and from the airport during curfew, the Trinidad and Tobago Police Service has put out um, sort of guidelines or, or just a notice in terms of what you ought to do if you are stuck. Um, and again, in a nutshell, you can go to our Twitter page to check out the entire thread or check any of the TTPS's uh, social media platforms. And hopefully it was published in the newspaper as well. But long story short, um, you must have the flight itinerary. That is the, the ticket showing, of course, the date and flight number and arrival time, et cetera, et cetera. Um, of the passenger 
um, as well as a photo of the biodata page of their passport. So again, it's not to say, well, yeah, I tell the officer um, that the person coming in at two o'clock, so two o'clock in the morning, so I'm going to, you know, thing, no. Do you have this information? And like they said, the person can send it to you on their phone, on, on your cell phone, and you can have it ready to display to the officer. Again, no word on whether or not they're taking photocopies, like paper, like if you were to print it out, that is a question to ask the commissioner. Um, but right now they said, display it on your phone, have it on your phone, and maybe they want to have it on your phone because they want to see that the person has sent it to you and not just that you're photocopying thing, you know, all willy-nilly about the place and you going to pick up this person, but also John Brown going to pick up this person, whatever, whatever, because all they want to be out. So just have that on hand so that they can verify the information. More than likely, they do have an itinerary of flights coming in past curfew. So don't try to outsmart them. I wouldn't suggest it. That's, that, that's just me. Um, again, there are three categories of persons who can... No, let me not say that. There are three categories of travelers. If you are vaccinated um, as a citizen, if you are unvaccinated as a citizen, when I say citizen, I mean citizen slash resident. And if you are unvaccinated, of course, you can enter if you are fully vaccinated. You do not have to quarantine. Of course, you still need your negative PCR test. Um, you can enter if you are unvaccinated as a citizen or resident, but you will have to go into mandatory state supervised quarantine. And then if you are unvaccinated as a non-national, a non-resident, then you cannot enter. And back to that category of unvaccinated citizens or residents who can only enter through PR code, that's one, remember that when you're booking your ticket. Um, but also too, again, on Saturday, the first day of the border reopening, we heard or we heard mention of people already trying to, I don't know, I don't even know what to call it. I don't think it's trick. I don't think it's bamboozle. I don't, I don't know what it is. Play smart. Me, no. Unnecessariness. You knew the restrictions. Whoever told you that it was okay or that it's ready, you, you know, borders are open, you can come, should have known the restrictions because they go part, they, 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 they go hand in hand, right? If you went on the, the TT um, travel pass uh, website, which will come, come to, you know the restrictions. So why? Why are you doing foolishness? I don't understand it. Stop trying. Stop. If you're not fully vaccinated, fully vaccinated means WHO definition of fully vaccinated, which means you've had both shots. If you have, you know, um, any other vaccine except Johnson & Johnson, because Johnson & Johnson is one shot. But if you've had that one shot of Johnson & Johnson, or you've had both shots of all the other vaccines, and two weeks have passed since your second shot, then you are fully vaccinated. If you just got your, your your vaccine, your second shot yesterday, you are not fully vaccinated. That means more than likely when you get into Piaco, you have to quarantine. 
if you only get one shot, you're not fully vaccinated. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta quarantine. Not only that, but as I understand it, because now we are in the TT Travel Pass discussion now, you upload your PCR test, right? If you are fully vaccinated, you upload your proof of vaccination. And let me say, if you didn't show proof of vaccination, that means you are not fully vaccinated, whether or not, in fact, you got your doses, et cetera, et cetera. If you don't show proof, the system doesn't know, the, the, the immigration controls don't know because they're going based on this COVID pass. More than that, if you are not fully vaccinated, as I understand it, you would have had to book your quarantine accommodation and show proof of that on the travel pass system. So you book quarantine accommodation and then land in Piaco to do what? I hope these quarantine places are taking a down payment because it can mean, I don't know if the smart manism is so, is so right with people that you book it, you pay for it, and then what you're, you're trying to cover when you reach it going and cancel it. I, I don't understand. It's not making sense. And if you're not prepared to adhere to the restrictions, if you cannot behave, then stay where you are. I'm sorry, it's, it's, it really is just that simple. You are no better than those tourists who have come back to the region, um, especially, you know, we've seen stories out of Barbados, Bahamas, St. Vincent, St. Lucia, Jamaica, where you refuse to adhere to the rules and regulations. And not only that, but you want to pay them fines? Go to the quarantine, the state supervised quarantine centers, serve out your time. I even think that the quarantine it might be reduced or whatever, depending. I'm, I, I can't remember. Don't quote me on that. Serve out your time, quote unquote. Think of it as the beginning of your vacation. You get to stay in a nice little hotel, right? And then go home to your family. Why, why are we trying to take unnecessary risks? Anyway, the TT travel pass, because you have to put T-T-R-A-V-E-L, I learned that the hard way <laughs> when you enter in the web address. But the travel pass was also unveiled last week, Wednesday, I believe it was. Um, and again, like I said, you have to upload the necessary documentation. You need your PCR test um, at most 72 hours before you travel. So the suggestion is get your PCR test within that 72 hour period and then go on to the travel pass site. You also have to have your flight information, et cetera, et cetera. So you have to have everything, PCR, vaccination, proof of vaccination that is, and your flight information when you go up on that site. And again, you have to have the same for all persons within your party. So if you do have a child below 18, 12 to 18, um, who is vaccinated, you can upload that information as well there. Um, and so that is on Travel Pass. Again, we posted this on social media. You can see all of that on any of our platforms. Follow us at Soapbox, C-B-E-A-N, on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. <laughs> um, so let's move on. Our next conversation is on digitization or digitalization. 
As you would have seen again last week, I tell you a lot happened last week. On Monday the 12th, the Prime Minister, Dr. Keith Christopher Rowley, um, advised the President of the Republic to, um, you know, the usual, revoke the appointment of XYZ and appoint La Lada. So um, long story short, it was the Ministry of Public Administration and Digital Transformation uh, when the Prime Minister unveiled his cabinet back in uh, July of 2020. Now, what happened on Monday is that that ministry was split. Um, again, for those of you who might not know, we've always had a ministry, when I say always, you know, for quite some time, we've had a ministry of public administration. So in 2020, digital transformation was added to that. And at that time, we had um, Senator Allison West, who was appointed minister. And then we had Hassel Bacchus, who was appointed minister in the Ministry of Public Administration and Digital Transformation. On Monday, that ministry was split. And so Minister West retains the portfolio of public administration. And now uh, Hassel Bacchus, who was minister in the Ministry of, is now minister of this new ministry, the separate ministry, Ministry of Digital Transformation. So I'm going to let that sink in for a moment. What does this new Ministry of Digital Transformation mean? Now, we know that even before, um, and I assume that iGovTT now falls under digital transformation, because we've seen um, in various iterations where there had been a focus on um, ICT, on digitization, on um, e-governance and, and the like, right? Um, so the expectation now is that in its own ministry, digital transformation will get the kind of legs and momentum needed um, and that kind of focus to relate or to, to turn into something that is, I wouldn't say tangible, but monumentous. When I say that, I mean this ministry of digital transformation is not the first foray into digital transformation in Trinidad and Tobago. That's what I'm trying to see. This is not the first time or the most significant thing to happen in terms of, like I said, this transition to e-governance, um, e-systems, and, and again, greater efficiency. It is not the first. It might be significant, or it might be um, highlighted a lot, because we are people who like to see tangible things. And so seeing a ministry with a logo and a title and a minister and whatever, whatever, seeing it is believing it for us. Um, and I say that because, again, as I said before a couple platforms ago, and as I continue to see, because you don't see it, it doesn't mean that it's not there or that it's not happening. There are huge obstacles to chip away at we know. Um, and we, we we hope that this ministry will bring a sledgehammer to a lot of that. But even before, or even in its previous iteration, and even before, and even in other ministries, um, over the last decade or so as a country, we have been doing and we have been chipping away at that huge obstacle or that huge boulder. And I mean, I could point to things like the single electronic window or the TTBiz link, you know, still continuously 
adding services to that. And when I say adding services, I mean filing construction permits online, doing, um, doing um, other regulatory transactions online, getting your food and drug permits online, et cetera, et cetera. That is part of that digital transformation. But again, perhaps because it is um, not as widely seen or not many people, when I say not many people, depending on the sector that you're in, you might not interface with those systems, you might not know. And like I said, because there's no bell ringing up and down, look at this, oh, you know, or because you don't see it splashed on a building somewhere, um, maybe you, you don't take notice of it, but that is important. Hundreds of government services, um, especially, and this is particularly, as it's called TT BizLink because it relates to the business community, um, uh, on online and have been moved online and like I said um, with more being added um, all the time uh, you, you can access services of a number of ministries on that TTBizLink SEW um, platform. When we talk about paying bills online some of these um, like I said state agencies or state enterprises that have been moving and pushing for 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 um, you know online um, transactions even when we look at Recently, and I pointed it out on our social media, when we look at the Ministry of the Attorney General and Legal Affairs, right, those filing of post-incorporation documents online. And I mean, that is recent, yes, um, but that is not just because of the pandemic. Those things have been coming on stream or in the works for quite some time. Right, because again, um, and with those documents, you can file online and you can pay online as well. Online payments had been a thing, government on, online payment for government services had been a thing in the works for quite some time, but it's not just, okay, we should allow payments online, boom, let's set up a PayPal. You know, it's not like that because you're dealing with A, receipt of government funds. You're dealing with, again, like I said, online transactions. So you want to make sure that the person who is filling out the form, when I say filling out the form or making the payment or whatnot, that it corresponds with the right records and the right person, et cetera, et cetera. Um, because again, it is not just um, it's not just as simple as saying, okay, we're building a website, right? When you do your um, BIR, annual tax returns that you can file online now, again, that's not new in that that's not just because of the pandemic, right? That was introduced before. And I don't know if you've ever filed a tax return, you should, uh, but before where you had to fill it out manually, you had to get the form, fill it out, you had to get envelope, put in the envelope, address it to whoever, go down to BIR and drop it in just to get just to get what they owe you. And now you can fill that out online. You can do that online. Um and so I was saying that to get it online is not just to set up a website or not just to give you a passcode because then they have to make sure that when you enter this information on the system that it corresponds to your BIR files and numbers, which means that they have to digitize those records and bring decades of paper on, on online or, or digital in order for you to do something as simple as a form. You get me? So it's not, it's not as simple as people make it seem. Again, we would want it to move faster. Hopefully this standalone ministry means that it would move faster, but we have to be mindful of, 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 
what it entails, right? Um, we spoke about on this platform before as well, the digitization of um, land records, company records. You can find your birth paper information, whatever online, you can order one online and have them mail it to you. All these things are part of that digital transformation that have been ongoing since before the pandemic. Again, perhaps some of us take notice of it or actually use it because I would say, for some of us, talk to yourself, for some of us, there are things that we can do online and we don't, or we can do digitally and we don't. And you can see it with internet banking has been on the rise for the last decade or more. Nearly every, and I'm saying nearly because, I, you know, because I'm a social scientist and I don't like to generalize, but nearly all of the banks, um, and I would say the majority, I don't want to say all, but the majority of them have online platforms. Yet still, bank lines long. Pre-pandemic, even during the pandemic. And so even when it comes to government services, some of us don't keep abreast of those changes. And so we find ourselves, like I said, done in BIR trying to do X, Y, Z when we could do it online. Right. That whole TT Connect um, initiative and iGov TT, again, it is that move to to again. Digitize and have digital access to a, a number of government services as well. And again, if you cast your minds back, how long has that been in the works? And so again, to that, to that extent, especially as I was speaking to the fact that again, there are a number of things that we can do online and we don't, whether it is because we don't know or because we refuse to, um, you know, on a program um, on the July 15th, um, brighter morning with Bo program, former Senator Bo Tuari, um, or Dr. Bo Tuari, uh, interviewed Dr. Keith Rowley, our Prime Minister, and they were talking about this um, digital transformation um, split or separate ministry. And Dr. Tuari made, a, made a, a, a very useful comment in that, you know, you have to digitize before you digitalize. And so some of the challenge might be in digitizing <laughs> before we can digitalize, but more so when, when I spoke to the fact that some things are available, sometimes whether as users, as clients, we don't know or we don't use it, but also when it comes to the back end of things and getting those things digitized and then digitalizing services, we know, right? We would be lying to ourselves if we, if we say we don't expect that there might be pushback from certain quarters for different reasons. Because again, many people see this digital agenda as a um, as one that might promote job losses, or that it would relegate, or that it would it would cause some jobs to disappear. Right. So we have to again always, as a society, balance this conversation. Do we want efficiency and a digital? Um, uh, digital service or a service online, whatever, whatever. But then that means that Suzanne, right, don't have to walk your file from first floor uh, up to sixth floor. And so there's always that that balance. And in that interview, I, I remember 
the prime minister um likening uh you know how how the, the example he used was vaccine hesitancy the same way that there is vaccine hesitancy um you can say that there is some digitization hesitancy um in Trinidad and Tobago and I tend to agree there is some of the comments that you hear really doesn't make sense because at the end of the day what is our goal and even though yes we can say in some instances a digital platform might reduce or remove the need for particular um manual when I say that I mean humans doing the job it doesn't mean that all is lost because then it also promotes employment in other areas uh, and hopefully again our systems are to reduce inefficiencies and so those might be the first to be targeted and so if you are in a in a position that requires human intervention or where the efficiencies aren't a problem then i wouldn't have a i i wouldn't have a worry if i were you um i want to move swiftly along because i know that time is going am i finished here i believe that is all i wanted to say on that i also remember that in that interview uh he did mention and and they, they these government ministers have been mentioning mentioning it for some time in terms of this move towards an e-identity or having a unique identifying number for each citizen in that or, or likening it to how the US has a social security um, number. Uh, uh, and again, I know that the conspiracy theorists are, are plenty, right? And they are out there. However, I, I also took in another program. I um, can't remember where it was. But again, this thing about we want certain things. We want our systems to function like certain countries. We talk about the US, we talk about the UK, we talk about Singapore here, there and everywhere. But we don't want to implement the measures or systems necessary for that to come about. And I also reference, um, I want to reference here, for example, with the pandemic and the COVID-19 vaccines in the United Kingdom, for example, you have to have a national um, health system number, an NHS number. Every citizen has one. Um, and what you have to do is you have to register with a, with a let's call it a doctor, a medical practice in your area. That is a whole nother system that we don't have in Trinidad and Tobago, but I digress. So let's say you registered at the Ministry of Health or at birth, you're given an NHS number, what the situation is. Um, that NHS number is what you use to book your vaccine. That NHS number tells the administrator, or not even the administrator, tells the system how old you are and which vaccine you are eligible for because they have a um they were only given certain vaccines to over 40 and certain vaccines to persons under 40 again a different conversation so having that nhs number especially at the outset was a requirement for booking an appointment because then it also filtered out right they, they did it by age so those 80 and over whatever whatever based on your nhs number they know if you're 80 and over or not it's not to say your call and say or your whatever you plug in your nhs number to the centralized system that how many of our millions of people in the uk use right and then it validates because if you are 80 and over you can book an appointment once you put in that nhs number and you're not 80 and over don't bother, you can't book the appointment, right? I also re recall a, a, a friend of mine 
who initially when they were vaccinating, they were vaccinating the elderly, of course, and those with comorbidities. And they would text you when it's your turn, because again, they have your information. If you put, you didn't have to put a phone number, but if you put a phone number when you're registering for your NHS ID, right? They would have the, the information to text you or email you or whatever the case is. Now he is 20 something and he got his text at that time. And so the question is, well, how they know you have comorbidities? Right, how they know you have uh, whatever respiratory ailment he has. And it is because two years before he presented at a, a medical center or hospital, right, where of course they used his NHS number to, to log him in or to register him at the hospital. And he presented with 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 symptoms of a like I said, of of whatever it is, whatever respiratory ailment. And so having that record they know now that in this pandemic he is a vulnerable person and you should be you know you are eligible to take your vaccine early but you don't want to register you don't want to give your information you have all these conspiracy theories in trinidad so now you need to get a doctor letter to say you have a co and anybody could anybody could get a doctor letter we know for the for the right amount or 60 and over and all manner of people getting vaccine. But you don't want to have that system in place. You don't want to give that information. And imagine, because we also talk about um, um, either Singapore or Estonia, where again, they have a single registration. If you give your information to one government agency, they have a policy where you do not have to give it to yet another for no reason because they share that information and that information is attached to like what the prime minister had been saying this unique identifying number so when you're walking to bir and bir is asking you for your data boot <laughs> right your this that and the other they wouldn't need that because they already have it from ministry of health or, or they have it rather from attorney general and legal affairs where your booth had been registered so once they pull up number 0000, right? Aurelia Bruce, they don't need to ask you for your for your for your address, telephone, email, date of birth, I don't know, mother's maiden, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera, because it's already there. And then when you turn up at Ministry of Um Works or whatever, or when you go online to TT Bizlink to get your construction permits. You don't need to give that information again because it is contained in your unique identifier. And again, how much more secure is that than having your information floating around on a piece of paper in a government file somewhere where anybody could just throw an eye on? Anyway, let me come off of this. We Perhaps in, in our next season, because we are wrapping up ep energy sector episodes, perhaps in our next season, we can deal squarely with this. Maybe, yeah. That's what we will do. We will look at actually, no, I promised you something else in the next season. I didn't forget you. But we will deal with this question and we will wade into some of these discussions because again, yes, there is that element of data privacy, data protection. There are those conspiracy theories. There is that general, again, if we are honest with ourselves, a general mistrust of government. When I say government, I don't mean political parties. If you're on this platform long enough, you know that when I say government and governance and political, that it means something different. So there is a general mistrust of 
government and the bureaucracy, the machinery, the institution that is government. Um, we know that there, there are different things like capacity, human resource capacity, technical capacity, storage capacity, because where are these servers being stored, et cetera, et cetera. Lots of questions. But again, when we live in a world that is moving 10 times faster than we are, where does that leave us? Because let me say on this last point, <laughs> and I will nix whatever else I had to say. Let me say on this last point, you're on Gmail, giving unknown people all kind of information. As in, when I say that, I mean, you are sending emails back and forth and that information is being read and stored, read and stored and, and perhaps even shared and sold because nothing is free. So when you say, oh, yes, I have a free email address. No, right? You are on social media, Facebook, Twitter, whatever, giving people the puzzles of your life very easy to put together, even if it is your fake life, because we know social media, uh, some people aren't who they say they are. But again, tracking your location, you don't know. All those um, cookies and crumbs and whatever else that you are leaving on the internet, right? all those gateways right when you fill out those those fun quizzes on on social media yeah when you oh what day will you think and you have to put in your data booth now who knows who have your data booth and your information but you're afraid you're afraid trinidad and tobago government but you're not afraid of whatever other hackers and and black hats and this and that that are online not only that, when you apply for your visa, you get you give everything, every all kind of question they ask you. Whether it is US visa, UK visa, visa to go wherever. All kind of question. You're giving fingerprint and all. If they ask you for a hair follicle, you give it to them. You don't know, you don't ask where, how that information is stored, what they do, how they does, when they just dispose of it. Who have access to that information? Nothing. You don't know. But you're there <laughs> giving fingerprints. Right? But you are afraid now of this transition to the digital age in Trinidad and Tobago. Where when you travel abroad, you're cashless. Well, you can't be cashless because you don't have, you know, unless you have banks in, in you know, in, in those um places. But you're swiping. You mightn't be um, you know, where they have those touch ones. You might be there, you might be swiping but you're going into and fitting comfortably into cashless societies abroad. But home, you're vexed and you want to be standing up in bank lines to withdraw money. Um, again, uh, the last thing on this was uh, a NG sector snippet on that same interview with Senator, former Senator Botuari, um, former Senator Dr. Botuari um, and Prime Minister Rowley, um, Another point from that interview was in terms of the energy sector. Um, it was an aside because the conversation was not about the energy sector. It was more about COVID-19. Like I said, um, that news about the split in digital transformation and public administration. But it fits into our energy discussion here because I don't think we mentioned it. Now, we discussed Petrotrin, but we didn't go into the details of that Petrotrin closure um, when I say that, I mean the other side of it. We, we spoke about the cause of the closure, but we didn't really speak about the labor aspect and the next end of it. Um, and the prime minister noted that um, it's it just a useful tidbit, might come in handy, I don't know, um, that 
when the state made the decision to close Petrotrin, they made available in stock or one of the offers was uh, stock in the new company, which is Heritage and Paria, um, to to give the former workers uh, stock in those news companies, th those new companies on favorable terms, um, so that that um, employee stock ownership um, in the restructured company was an option. Uh, apparently, the unions said no or weren't um, didn't see that as favorable. Um, but he noted that Heritage is making over a billion dollars a year in profit with forecasts to do more. Um, I thought that that was interesting uh, in, in light of our energy sector discussion, but also in light of, again, that labor discussion, because the question he asked was, okay, well, where would the employees be if they had taken that stock? Um, and again, um, I am saying here, sometimes where we, where we take short-term gain, right? Because you want your money, you want all of it now, as opposed to building wealth and, and you know, investing. And here is a ready investment um, in an energy company uh, that could have had value to you. Um, so I don't know on the labor front, I don't know where, why, what, what the details were, so I cannot judge that. But the note that Heritage is making over a billion dollars a year in profit, I thought, might be a useful tidbit in our energy discussion and he also noted that the retrenchment exercise cost about 2.7 billion dollars my note here says yikes <laughs> um anyway that would have been it for me save and except for you would have seen recently as well because last episode we did touch on um renewable sector last two episodes and i noted that yet another meeting was had between the ministry of energy and energy industries and BP Alternative Energy and Lighthouse BP and Shell to focus on Project Lara, which is a solar project in Trinidad and Tobago. So again, if you're keeping abreast or you, you had listened to the previous episodes where we spoke about some of those renewable projects that are ongoing in Trinidad and Tobago. Um, and here is an update on, on one of those. Like I said, I saw, I, saw, um, I saw information on that meeting coming out um into the public domain guys <laughs> i talk more than i anticipated um it was this was supposed to be short and sweet just highlights of what you missed but you know me um and you know this has been what's up like i said a jam-packed week hopefully we have a smooth sailing um relaxing no major no major news other than positive news we always open to positive news coming up in this in this next week um a busy busy week in the republic lots of milestones um but next week we will return to put a cap on our energy sector episode season with episode 10 we've come to the end of this season um in that episode we will wrap up our energy discussion and hopefully feature what i had promised you um, would be an outlook on the region's energy sector, uh, specifically Guyana. Hopefully we will have that in the next episode, fingers crossed. Um, and I am duty bound to remind you that we are still in a pandemic. Never mind 800,000 dos doses touched on. We are still in a pandemic. If you have both shots, even if you have both shots, right still if you only have 
one shot. And especially if you've had no shots, remember the three W's. The three W's are still important regardless of your vaccination status. Remember to wash your hands, wear your mask, and watch your distance. See you in the next episode for our final, final episode of the season. So don't forget to get on your soapbox. Oh.